I'll say again, if you are visiting with us and you are not used to being here, or if you're coming back or traveling, thank you so much for being among us. It is a joy and a privilege, and so we, we honor you and we thank you for being here. We're beginning a series today that will take us through the summer. It's called I'm Still Here. And I, I want you, as I kind of give a broad overview of this series before we get into the text this morning, to hear the words that Trish spoke at the beginning and the words that Jim spoke in the middle in, in this series, unbeknownst to them, that the Lord is weaving through by his spirit the, the theme of our series as he often does in speaking the same message through various folks. So the word is, I am still here. That's God's word to us. I am still here. There are times where we experience uh, circumstances that threaten the very foundation of our lives. What we thought we could rely upon proves unreliable. The dreams we had for our lives fizzle out. The plans we made fall through. The world we were used to changes right in front of us. And we're like, all of a sudden, you may be looking up saying, where am I? Who am I? And in these times when the ground is shaking underneath us, as it were, the foundations appear to be shaking, it's common for us to say, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And the scriptures are honest with this question. In the times of struggle, in the times of, of, of uh, chaos, in the times of pain, the scriptures are honest with the question, where are you, God? And we, if we're honest with ourselves, ask that. Either verbally, subconsciously, we ask when we are pressed, when times are hard, God, where are you in this? And so time and time again, throughout the scripture, through story, through poem, through song, through teaching, the scripture says, I am still here. I am with you. I have promised to be with you, and I am faithful to my promises. I am with you for your good. I am with you for your transformation. I am with you to save your foundation will hold because it's not in the circumstance. It's in me, says the Lord. I am the rock upon which your life is built. Will you trust me? So the house may need renovating, right? The life may need revitalizing. The perspective, my perspective, our perspective may need resetting. But God is saying, your foundation is sure because it's in me. I'm still here. I'm still here. And so throughout this series, uh, I'm, I'm, my prayer is that our identity would be rooted more and more deeply in who God is. In the midst of a shaking world, that our identity would be rooted. And, and toward this end, in this series, we're going to follow the story of God's people from around 600 B.C. to 400 B.C. What is that? <laughs> I'm going to say that. Uh, we're going to grow and learn from their experience as they walked through threats to their identity, as they walked through a prolonged threat even to their very existence as a people. 600 to 400 B.C. Think about that time frame, 200 years. It's like from 1823 till now. Has anything happened from 1823 till now? Yes. 
Thank you, Joel. I mean, so for, for the Hebrew people, you can't just say, oh, this is what happened in those 200 years. This is, a, this is a time of conquered defeat. This is a time of exile. This is a time of confusion. But it also ultimately becomes a time of growth, a time of learning, a time of rededication, a time of promise. And so out of this trauma, out of this exile, there is a reset for God's people and their identity and who they are. It's not linked to a place or a thing or an act. It's linked to God himself. So that's my hope for us. Are, are we living in a time that's a threat to your identity? To who you believe you are in God? To who you believe you are as a person created in his image? Have you asked, where is God? So the, my, my prayer is, may the Lord strengthen our foundation and our, uh, and our faith to know that in him, the, uh, we have an unshakable kingdom. In him, our foundations are strong. I long for our identity to be firmly rooted in the rock that is Christ. More and more, to know who we are in Christ. Even as an exiled people, even when we're not at home, even when life changes right before us, not to grasp for the past, but to say, here's who I am in Christ, and I'm going to move forward in that. And so he calls us to trust him. He sings over us his enduring love, and he says in so many ways and so many times, I am still here. I am at work. And so... Um, the first message in this series is from Jeremiah 30. If you'd open your scripture, if you have a Bible with you or an app on your phone, Jeremiah chapter 30. A few weeks ago, if you were here, you remember I preached from Jeremiah 29, which is a letter, his letter to the exiles. And today, we're beginning in a very similar context, just one chapter later, in Jeremiah 30. And so if you are able to stand and willing to stand this morning, I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's word. And we stand also to recognize that it's not by any person's authority. It's God's authority uh, that speaks to us in this word. It's his spirit that has breathed out this word. And so this is Jeremiah chapter 30, beginning with verse 1, 1 through 10. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. Verse 3. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. These are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard. Terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor, every face turned deathly pale? How awful will that day be? No other day will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob. And I'll explain what, what he's talking about there. It will be a time of trouble, but he will be saved out of it. Verse 8, in that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. 
hey, David had died 500 years earlier. What is Jeremiah talking about? Verse 10, so do not be afraid. Jacob, my servant, do not be dismayed, Israel. I will surely save you out of a distant place. Your descendants from the land of their exile, Jacob will again have peace and security and no one will make him afraid. This is God's word to his people. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word, by the power of your spirit, changes our lives. We, we can, many of us can give testimony that it is your spirit through your word that has renewed our minds, that has changed our hearts, that has set us on paths of life. And so we thank you for your word. And I pray, God, is that I uh, attempt to clearly proclaim and explain this word. I pray that you would be at work among us to shape us and form us for your sake, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the word of Jeremiah gives hope to his people in verse 3. I will bring back my people from captivity. I will restore them. And that sounds great. But remember that those who are hearing this word, this is a future promise. Right? The, these days are coming, God says, when they hear this. None of this has been fulfilled. Their present reality, as they hear these words, is captivity. Their present reality, as they hear these words, is that Babylon just conquered us and everything we know has, has been turned upside down and times are really, really hard, to put it mildly. They've been carried away to captivity that's their reality. When they hear these words of Jeremiah, I will restore you. I will bring you back. And so the question is, can we hold on to future hope amid present suffering? Can you hold on to a hope that is future even when the suffering is right now? It's more challenging, is it not, to press on in faith when victory seems far off? When defeat even appears more likely, it's more challenging to hold on by faith. And think of an athlete uh, in the losing end of a blowout. It takes a special character and a motivation to play hard and with integrity through that final whistle when you're down by 40 points. Right? Think of a tennis player and the third says, 6-0, 6-0, You know, what hope do they have in that third set? But it takes a special uh, resiliency and character to play hard to the very end. Think of a politician uh, pressing on in a campaign when their polling numbers are at like a half of 1%. And they have to press on if they believe this is right and good, even when it seems that victory is far off. And all those examples, it's just harder to press on in faith or with energy or with optimism and those aren't the same thing, but it's harder to press on forward when defeat appears more likely. And yet the story of Scripture is the story of God's surprising, sovereign, ultimate victory, even when defeat uh, feels likely, even when all forces stand against His plan, His kingdom, His people. The story of Scripture is God is victorious. God is victorious. And the pinnacle of this victory is Jesus Christ raised from the dead. 
raised from the dead, a victory that was foreshadowed again and again in all these miraculous rescues of the Old Testament. The, the ark of saving God's people from the flood, the, the parting of the Red Seas, the, the, the tumbling of the walls, the, the um, rescue from the Assyrian Empire when it seemed like there is no chance we survive this. And God steps in and brings victory when it seems like defeat is way more likely. And think about the resurrection victory and how that hope and that reality has cast its light forward since that time. Miraculous saving acts since Jesus Christ was raised from the dead in lives made new. Is your life made new because of the resurrection of the dead? That's a miraculous saving act of God that is looking forward from what he has done. In, in chains that are broken, in the society's change over the centuries, in spiritual, physical wounds being healed, in the preservation of this word, in the preservation of the church, the, the, the victory of Christ from the cross, from the resurrection, shining light forward into the day that we are now living in. This is God's victory in the face of apparent defeat. And so let me just say at the beginning, we worship a God of victory. And so how will we live in light of this victory? Especially and even in times of hardship, how will we live? When it seems like if you're just looking maybe at your life or at this period of time or whatever the scope is, it seems like, well, defeat is far more likely. It feels like, oh, this, this is not going to turn out well. How do you live in light of a God of victory? That's the question. And so his word challenges us and speaks to us example after example of a people living by faith in the Lord, even amid trial, hardship, suffering. And the hope of Jeremiah 30 comes to a people with present heartache, a people who would likely die in captivity amid present heartache. And God's word speaks to them, hope, victory, promise. And so in the language of this passage, the message is this, even when you're carried away, I'm still there. Even in the distant place, I am near. Even in the distant place, I'm still here. Do you feel like you're in a distant place? I'm still here. I'm still here. And this is the starting point as we learn to live as an exiled people. As we learn to live in Babylon, as I said two weeks ago, this is the starting place. I'm still here. This is God's word to his people. Because of my great love, there is no place you can go that's outside or beyond my reach. I'm still here. I'm still here. And because of this unshakable truth, even before the situation changes, even if the situation doesn't change, we can be a people of freedom and courage. I'd long for us to be a people of freedom and courage more and more because of this unshakable truth. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm still here. And so the starting point of that way into greater freedom, into greater courage, is realizing when we're in the distant place and how, uh, and, and how to be honest with that situation. 
So the distant place. Let's start there. What is this distant place? Verse 10 is where I get that phrase, a distant place. What is it? And I'm using this term broadly. I'm going to define it historically here. But the distant place for this people connects with a wider biblical theme of being far from the Lord or being far from his love or being far from a place of our heart's desire, being far from the place it feels like home. Historically, in this passage, this is Babylon. And you may remember the context from Jeremiah 29 a few weeks ago, this ideal of exile and being away from home. So as Jeremiah speaks, this is to a people around 600 B.C. who have been ripped from their homes. And I'm going to geek out on you for just a second because I need to put a timeline on. And so go ahead and put the timeline. I love timelines, so we won't linger here. There's so many, you know, like... I don't know how much to say about timelines. This is just the Old Testament. You could get so detailed on this, you wouldn't even be able to see the writing, you know. But I want you to see, I want us to see, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the 200 years between 600 and 400. Where is that? You have Abraham, you have the judges, you have David and the kings over 400 years. Where is this? Go ahead and put the next one up. This is here. Right at the, near the end of the revelation of the Old Testament. That's what we're speaking about. And do you know how much of the Scripture is written to people in this time period? Right, And Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and much of Jeremiah, or all of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, some of Isaiah and Haggai and Zechariah and many of the Psalms and on and on and on are written to people in this time period. And so... We're not going to be in one passage, but we're in many passages that are speaking to this idea of what is God doing in this period where the temple is destroyed. The kings are, are a distant memory. Abraham, who is that? Like, Abraham is almost as far away from them as, as Jesus is from us. I mean, the distant past in reality. This is the time. And so... Today, we're at the beginning of that black circle, as it were, the, the um, initial shock and trauma of Babylon's conquering armies. A distant place. And I'd like us to read a portion of the account in 2 Chronicles. I'll have it up here. You don't have to turn. In 2 Chronicles 36, it gives an account. Jeremiah 52, the end of 2 Kings. There are many accounts of this. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets, prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians and God gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And he, this is Nebuchadnezzar now, carried into exile to Babylon, the remnant. And it also says in the word, the Lord carried them into exile, Jeremiah 29. Who, he carried into Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power 70 years later. I'd encourage you to read, again, the whole context of this chapter on your own. But let me just say, I, it's hard for us to imagine the trauma and the change of this defeat. 
This isn't only wartime defeat. This isn't only our homes have been destroyed, our lands, our fields have been ruined, loved ones have been killed. That would be enough, right? And this is also, this distance comes from the destruction of the temple and their way of looking at the world, their way of worshiping God. Think of the large-scale questioning in these events as you're living through these events. Where are you, God? Where are you? Has God been defeated? There is an unmooring of life that happens as, as the conquering armies this time actually come in and do their work and take the people. Nearness and familiarity of home has turned into distance and foreignness Where is God? The foundations are threatened. And I want us to see that for this people at this time, their distance began with a distant relationship. The chronicler tells us their distance from the Lord, their distance from the Lord came first, and then their physical separation from Jerusalem. They had mocked and despised the Lord's ways and his warnings, And so they had a distance from the Lord, a distance from his paths of life. And so he brings then a physical distance. He gives them into the hands of the world's power. And so there's a severity to this trauma, a uniqueness to this event. But I don't want us to miss the message of the word by distancing ourselves from the lasting truth that God would like to speak. Are you in a distant place today? And is that even possible? And what would it look like? I know you haven't just walked through the Babylonian conquer, you know, the the conquering of the armies, but are you in a distant place? And let me say, as you think about this question, there's no shame here. Because being in the distant place doesn't mean you're sinning. Yes, in the time of Jeremiah, the captivity was a punishment for sin. I just said that. That was a national punishment for their sin. But as I said earlier, this distant place on a wider theme is, is being far from our heart's desire, being far from, at times, feeling far from the Lord when our foundations are threatened. And there are times when this is due to our sin. And we create distance from God. But there are also times when the distance is out of our control. There were faithful men and women, faithful men and women who experienced the same uh, punishment and consequence, such as Jeremiah. And so, are you in a distant place? What does it look like? At the very beginning, I said this happens sometimes in large macro scale over hundreds of years, but it can also happen in seasons of our lives, even in months or in years of our lives where we feel, "Ah, I'm unsettled. The ground feels like it's shaking. I'm in a distant place. It sounds almost cliche to say, but the first six to nine months of COVID were a distant place for me. Stable events and rhythms of life changed almost overnight. 
Fear and suspicion and division and paranoia ruled the air and to some extent still do. Everything was questioned. We were living off the map, as it were. We were trying to lead off the map. All of us, in wherever God has you, you're trying to live and move forward in a way that we've never been in before. It's a distant place. And I don't want to belabor it. We've talked through that again, but it could be COVID. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be the loss of a job. So many, so many events and circumstances threaten the foundation. It could be our sin. It could be that we're, we're distancing ourselves from the Lord. Our hearts are turning away. So many potentials. The question is, are you in a distant place? Feeling carried away from what is safe and known and happy. Regardless of the cause, regardless uh, of, of what's bringing about these times, the human spiritual existential struggle is the same. Where are you, God? Shaking, suffering, unstable times, they make it difficult to see the Lord's hand. We don't, see, we don't feel his presence. We don't, our eyes, we can't see what he's doing. Perhaps you find yourself turning away from the Lord, not as the cause of the distant place, but as a result. The circumstances of life out of your control to no, you know, to no um, response to your activity have brought a distant place, but as a result of those, you are turning inward. You're turning to your own strength and away from the Lord. That's a type of distant place. Is that what the Lord desires in times of struggle? In Jeremiah 30, the signs of being in a distant place are fear and insecurity and bondage. Do you see that in verse 5? Cries of fear are heard, terror, not peace. And before the Lord enters in, it's described as a place of trouble. It's described as the yoke on the necks and the, the bonds on the feet. Are, are there areas of your life marked by by fear, insecurity, or bondage. These affect what we do in the distant place. If fear is leading, if fear is taking control of our hearts and minds, that affects how we act when we're in the distant place. So how do you cope if you are in a distant place? How do you grieve and process and pray to others? Where do you run if your life is racked with worry about things outside of your control, you may be in a distant place. If you are isolated from the family of God, you may be in a distant place. If you're back to old sin patterns or short-lived empty comforts that attempt to just bring solace to your soul, you may be in a distant place. And so... All this to say, the first step is helpful to see, have eyes open, the realization, Lord, I'm living in a distant place. But what is the next step? Okay, we can own up on that. We can say, yes, this is where I am. But what's the step? What's, what's the important step the Lord wants us to take? What does he want to say to us when we're there? Verse 10 of chapter 30 of Jeremiah, I will surely save you 
out of that distant place. I will surely save you. He said it to his people as they were being carried away. And listen, church, he says this to us every day as we turn with faith in bold letters at the cross of Jesus Christ. I will surely save you out of the distant place. I will surely save you. I don't know if it gripped you when I read in 2 Chronicles, the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. That gripped my heart. There was no remedy. They had to be punished. They could not purify themselves or turn away from God's wrath. There was no other remedy. But this is not our story. Praise God. There, we have a remedy. We have a remedy. An enduring remedy at the cross of Jesus Christ where the wrath of God was poured out upon all sin and has been turned away. God's wrath has been turned away from all those who put their hope in Jesus Christ. We have a remedy. By faith, we recognize we can't do it. We are insufficient. We have a remedy. And so no matter how you got into the distant place, no matter um, why we're there, we walk through the distant place differently as we put our hope in Jesus Christ who says to us, I am still here. I am with you. I am with you. By now, here, um, now, here's the word to all of our distant places, and it's from Ephesians 2. In Christ Jesus, now, those of you who have been far away, now you are brought near by the blood of Christ. That's his word to you if you're in the distant place. That's the gift of the cross. That's the gift of the resurrection. Even as we recognize, yes, I, I've been walking out my life with the Lord. I've been aiming to step forward, but somehow I found myself in this distant place. The encouragement is, you are brought near. You are brought near. As often as you turn to him, he brings us near by the blood of Christ. Can you hear it? Do you believe it? Do you long for that? You are brought near. And so this is good news. This is the gospel we trust that we are brought near. Nearness to God is our portion not distance. Nearness to God forms our identity, not our enemies, not our exile, right? Not anything that would bring hardship and trouble. We have to walk through that, but that doesn't form our identity. What does? The nearness of God in his great love. Now, in Christ Jesus, you are brought near. And so here's the, word, the Lord's word to us. When you're in the distant place, I am still here. I am right there with you. I am mighty to save. I am at work. Fear and bondage, that is not my desire for you, says the Lord. That is not my desire. He is a God of courage and freedom. And by walking in the life of the Spirit of God that he has poured out through the resurrection, we can be people of courage and freedom. That's good news for me. We can be people of courage and freedom, and I hope it's good news for us. And you've said, yeah, I've heard this, I've heard this, I've heard this. Are we living it? Are we believing it? We need to be reminded of the gospel day by day, week by week. You are a child of God, a person of courage and freedom. 
And it doesn't mean we don't mourn or grieve or hurt. In the flesh, we might be distant from home, distant from our desires, distant from safety or prosperity or anything that you long after. There is trial, but by the Spirit, we know we are being renewed in our minds day by day to know that He is near. He is with us. And so in Christ Jesus, the promises of Jeremiah 30 are ours. They are yes and amen. They are ours. And so let's look at a couple of these promises. As as we come to this table, let's look at a couple of these promises for courage and freedom. Verse 8, the Lord says, In that day I will break the yoke off of their necks and will tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. In the nearness and the salvation of God, we are no longer subject to slavery. No one can enslave a heart that is freed by Christ. Chains are broken in the spirit. Bonds of addiction. Bonds of addiction of all kinds. Bonds of lies you have believed in. Bonds of besetting sin. They they can be broken in the power of God. Of Christ. God is at work to break the patterns that rob us from life and keep us from obedience and faith. God is at work in his nearness. And yes, though now for a time there are even physical bonds of the flesh, even the evil of slavery up to this day in our world, and yet there is a day coming when all forms of bondage, right, in the flesh and in the spirit, will be broken for all time. Right? That is the future hope that we look forward to. The Lord says, I am here for your freedom. I am here for your freedom. And so even in the midst of the suffering, we are people of hope that says freedom is what defines the people of God. And in this freedom, we read verse 10, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. I will surely save you from the distant place. I am here for your courage. Do not be afraid. The full peace and full security are for the future, but courage is now. I give you courage now in the distant place. I am the God of victory. So can you you imagine that day that is coming where nothing will make you afraid? Nothing will make you afraid. That day that is coming, we put our hope in Christ's victory and we look upon it with gladness and and, and joy. Full shalom, full peace is coming. But even now, by the Spirit of God, there is courage for His people. So here's the truth. We can live in the distant place with freedom and courage because He is with us. His great and precious promises are are ours in Christ. He is with us. So I want us to respond to this message and apply it to our lives through verse 9. The way that we apply this today. How do we apply courage? How do we apply freedom? Serve the Lord. Serve Him with gladness. Serve Him with courage. They will serve the Lord their God And the Messiah, that's David, their king, whom he will raise up. This promise has been fulfilled. God has raised up his Messiah in Jesus Christ. And so we serve the Lord Jesus 
with gladness. In God's nearness, we are freed to serve him. We don't have to serve our idols. We don't have to serve our fears. We don't have to do what others um, are, are leading us. When we live in defeat, we're serving other people. We're serving other gods. But God is saying to us, serve me. Serve me with gladness. That's one way we respond tangibly. Because God is near. We serve him. So my question is, for you to wrestle with, because I know it's not clear. How can you take a tangible step this week? to serve the Lord with freedom and courage. Maybe it's more toward the freedom. Maybe it's more toward the courage. But how is God inviting you, empowering you, equipping you to serve him this week with freedom and courage, even in a small way? You take that step. I trust you, God. I trust your nearness. And so I'm going to take a step forward and serve you in this area, serve you in this relationship, serve you in this minute, whatever it is in, in my neighborhood, with freedom and courage. I want to challenge us to take a step this week to serve him. The people of God were carried away to a distant place because of their sin. But even there, even in that time, even before the cross, God assured them, I am with you. I will save you. I am at work. And so now, in Christ, how much more? How much more do we live in this truth where he has, he has said, it is finished. I have done the work. I have done the work of salvation. And I have promised you, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When you were carried away, when you were experiencing distant place of one kind or another, I am still there. And so let's serve him with freedom and with courage. Lord God, thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Lord God, that it is the men and women who, have, who serve you, who have changed this world, who have changed cultures, who have, who have spread the good news to the ends of the earth, who are risking their lives even now for the sake of this truth because of the freedom and the courage that they have in Christ. And so, Lord, make that true of us, however you are calling us, wherever we are, Lord, even if we're in the distant place right now, Lord, help us to draw near and to serve you with gladness and with freedom and courage because of your great promises. We bless you and we praise you for your word. Lord, help us to walk in this identity. In Jesus' name, amen.